Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. <laughs> This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Hello. Hello. A new dawn has broken, has it not? It's the first Reasons to be Cheerful of the Biden era. And the post-Trump era. Yes, perhaps more pertinent. Doesn't it just feel like a relief? Isn't that the overriding feeling as of relief? Totally. And actually, I was listening to Pod Save America, another podcast, the other day, and they were saying, actually... It was really good he wasn't at the inauguration because it sort of meant that he was kind of out of the picture and it wasn't all about him. I thought it was a good point. It was. You you, you know, at the same time, you do... You you kind of wish that he behaved like a grown-up as well, though. I know, but we long gave up on... I mean, you know, that sort of seems... You know what I mean? Mm. Um, So, yeah, I think, you know, the world feels like a sort of fairer better safer place than it did a week ago um even you know just he's rejoined the you know rejoining the paris agreement the other executive orders he's doing and just the just the relief this is the sheer relief did you watch the inauguration of course we did sarah's american of course um i, I don't know if it was uh improved or enhanced or uh it was a distraction to have my mother-in-law texting her emotional response on a minute-by-minute basis. That sounds like an enhancement to me. Mm, I'm not sure. It took me out of the moment, although during the last inauguration, she was over-visiting and she was screaming at the TV like a football fan, screaming at an opposing team every time Trump spoke or moved or something. So at least it's established a tradition in our family that she is here to provide uh, a a commentary on her emotional response. Is it how you imagine the inauguration of the Jeffocracy would be? Um, No, I mean... You know, they had Amanda Gorman, the the young poet. Yes, perhaps she was a standout moment. I think at the inauguration in the Jeffocracy, I'd probably do the same, but with Pam Ayres. Okay, doing one of her famous poems. Maybe uh, I wish I'd looked after my teeth. And also, I know Joe Biden went big on unity in his speech, um, but I, I personally would do a lot of gloating. I think actually, what I thought was very interesting um, about this is that. Biden has always been seen as being in the sort of centre of the Democratic Party. I think it was, and it speaks to the moment, it was, you know, there was obviously the stuff about unity and healing and so on, but his line about the cascading series of crises and, and you know, in the run-up to the um, inauguration, he's obviously really... And, you know, he's responding to the moment, obviously, the the public health crisis of the moment. Um, but but 
It was a strikingly radical. I saw something in the Financial Times saying he discovered his inner radical. It's it's interesting how the moment is very very important for making the president in a way, and that that was the argument of this FT piece. Having set out this series of cascading crises, it now seems like it, you know, he he he's set up an expectation, which obviously he's got some determination to fulfil that he will act on not just on COVID, but the economic crisis, the climate crisis and racial injustice, which are the four crises that he has identified. Now, before we get into you sort of giving us the big sell on the episode, I'm going to say it's it's about blue zones. Now, can you just quickly summarise what those are? Places where people live a long time. And I think you have become obsessed in in recent months with my health with your own health with you know the the cycling the cold water swimming the cold showers now cold showers you know you've got your david bowie like cheekbones going can we just talk about kimchi for a minute oh please do yeah that's just like cabbage thing yeah we had uh hugh vanley whittingstall was recommending yeah it's made me really unpopular in that in my household i mean it's incredibly smelly this cabbage I mean, you don't need to be eating it to think it's smelly. You're not talking about some kind of output, are you? No, no. It's like, because it's fermented. The whole point about it is it's fermented cabbage. That's what's supposed to make it healthy. So you open it, you open the jar and it's sort of just what, I mean, wafts, wafting doesn't even begin to describe it. Have you checked the expiry date? Yeah, it's fine on the expiry date. (laughs) Okay, okay. I mean, maybe I've ordered the spicy kimchi. Sounds good. So what, what are you having your kimchi with? Sort of raw, really. <laughs> what, with a spoon out of the jar? More or less. I don't think that's quite what Hugh Fernley Whittingstall was suggesting, was it? I don't quite know. Anyway, I need some guidance, some kimchi guidance. But anyway, notwithstanding that... You want to live to 108, is, is, and, and so Blue Zones have become very interesting to you for that reason. At least. And Blue Zones are parts of the world where people live much longer and healthier lives than average. Back in the mid-2000s, journalist and author Dan Butner came up with the Blue Zones idea after researching longevity hotspots around the world, and he identified five areas in Japan, Italy, Costa Rica, Greece, and the US, where people tended to live particularly long, long lives. It turns out these areas have some key things in common, and the idea of Blue Zones is that a combination of people's diets, lifestyles, relationships, and culture help promote better health in the five uh, regions. Dan has since been working with towns and cities elsewhere in the US to try and apply the lessons of Blue Zones. We're going to be talking to him about the story behind Blue Zones, asking him what they are, where they are, and what they have in common. Then we're talking to Thea Parikos, who lives in one of the original Blue Zones that Dan identified, the Greek island of Ikaria. We'll be asking Thea about what life is like on the island, what we can learn from her, and whether we can go and work for her. And finally, we're going to be talking to Betsy Price, who is the mayor of Fort Worth in Texas, about how the city has been trying to put some of the lessons from Blue Zones into practice. So what's your reason to be cheerful? Well, I saw on social media this week that there are new Adam Curtis films coming. Mm. Um, He is a brilliant filmmaker. Um, he, he, He makes these documentaries about big ideas and uses loads of archive footage and and music um and he sort of goes deep into the ideas that underpin changes in society and they're beautifully made and he's got such an interesting brain and century of the self am i in the right yes that's exactly right yeah he's he's so good um and just he's i don't know if you do this there are certain people who every now and again i will google to see what they're up to just because i'm i'm desperate for new material like, and like me you mean yes exactly Miliband. what's he up to these days that's the first thing that comes up if you uh if you if you start typing in google Says, where is Ed Miliband now? What does he do now? What, what, um, and what, uh, what's his new series? There's not that much information at the moment. I think it's, it's about the history, uh, the emotional history of the modern world and how we as a society and as a culture have come to prioritize the expressing of emotions and putting an emotional framework on, on everything, which of course we think of as being extremely healthy. 
but I guess he's going to be digging into it and making us think about it a bit differently. Um, I don't know. There's just one trailer cropped up on social media the other day, which was very Adam Courtesy, but it doesn't give much away apart from just whet your appetite and make you think, oh, here's something to look forward to. Well, let's see if we can get him on the um, oh, I'd podcast. I'd love, love to speak to Adam Curtis. Uh, what's your reason to be cheerful? Well, mine is food related, uh, I, which is it's the sort of denouement, if I can use such a grand phrase or put word to the squash tahini and sesame soup story ah. from last week. So I think partly because I said on the podcast that I'd bought the ingredients and it was mm. from your book. And I thought to myself, well, now I've got to sort of do it. So I did. I made it last um, week. And I was a bit disappointed because we didn't have any vegetable stock cubes. So I had to use chicken stock. And so I sort of spent some period sort of whinging to Justine that it was going to taste chickeny. That poor woman. Yeah, exactly. It is so exceeded expectations. I mean, first of all, all of it was eaten, not by my children, but by us. I mean, we, there was sort of some leftover, and that was had the next day at lunchtime. Um, so it was edible, which is not true of the black bean soup debacle, <laughs> as, as you'll remember. The chicken stock wasn't ideal, but was sort of, you know, we kind of coped, we coped with, and it was sort of basically nice. And were any hedgehogs harmed in the making of that soup? No hedgehogs harmed. Um, you know, it, it was a resounding success, and it is thanks to you and the recipe book you bought me. You're listening to Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. I'm delighted to say that we are now joined by Dan Butner, author, journalist, and most importantly for our purposes, the founder of the Blue Zones idea. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. It's a delight to be here. Um. Let's start with the basics. We've done a little introduction, but tell us in your own words, what are Blue Zones and what's the story of how you began to investigate them? Well, I originated the idea as a National Geographic project to, in a sense, reverse engineer longevity. The premise here is if we could find the statistically longest lived areas in the world and then apply standardized methodology to find the correlations or the common denominators uh, you may be able to distill some pretty strong lessons for living longer yourself. And, you know, because there's been a lot of sort of hyperbole and and myth around longevity hotspots for years, people thought it was the Hunza Valley of Pakistan or the Caucasus in Georgia or the Vilcabamba Valley of, of uh, Ecuador. And those have proven to be uh, exaggerations and people, no, nobody really went beyond the anecdotes and we really did the numbers. Tell us where the first five blue zones were that you identified. The longest lived women in the world are Okinawa, Japan. The longest lived men live in the highlands of Sardinia, particularly the Noro province. Uh, the uh, Ikaria, Greece, where uh, Thea uh, is from. Uh, that's extraordinary in, insofar as they, they have about half the rate of cardiovascular disease, about eight good years, but almost no dementia, which is important in developed worlds, developed countries like ours. Uh, Nicoya Peninsula of Costa Rica, a uh, beautiful vacation spot, coincidentally, but that has the lowest rate of middle-aged mortality, so the best chance of reaching a healthy age 90. And then in the United States here, it's among the Seventh-day Adventists, which are conservative Methodists, who distinguish themselves from other Christians in that they uh, celebrate uh, Sabbath on Saturday and they evangelize with health, but Adventists tend to hang out with other Adventists, thus kind of conveying a, a, a continuous healthy contagion, which is their lifestyle. And how do you qualify to be a Blue Zone? Uh, the criteria, the, the general criteria is statistically longest lived. And we apply a few of those, the lowest rate of middle-age mortality. That means guys our age have the best chance of reaching a healthy age, 92 or 3, which is kind of the ceiling of uh, average life expectancy. Don't tell Ed that. He wants to live to 100. Yeah, I, I was, I was going to get on to the ceiling question. That was a slightly disappointing. How old are you? 51. 51? Here's the good news. Your, your life expectancy right now is about 90. But if you look back historically to about 1850, 
there's been a, a straight line progression of a two extra years of life expectancy per decade since since um, since 1850. So, you know, you're 50 now, you should be around four more. Your life expectancy is now 92. You should be around four more decades, which should impart maybe eight extra years of life expectancy as the human species life. So you could hit 100. Give us the rule of nine, the, the power nine, then the key characteristics that explain why people live longer and healthier lives. All right, the power nine is, is, is simply, you know, it's kind of a Dorkmeister name to apply, but there the, were the nine common denominators. No matter where you go in the world and you see extraordinarily long-lived people, you sort of see the same things over and over. First of all, they don't really exercise in the way we think of exercise, which, by the way, has been an unmitigated public health failure, at least in this country, because, you know, it gets a shit ton of promotion, but fewer than 15% of people get enough physical activity. What we see in blue zones, though, is is their built environment is such that they're nudged into physical activity every 20 minutes or so. So every time they're going to work or a friend's house or out to eat, it occasions a walk. They have gardens out back and their houses aren't full of mechanical conveniences to do their work for them. They're still kneading bread by hand and doing yard work with hand tools. The result is, um, you know, they keep their metabolisms going. Uh, Second, they have sacred daily rituals to unwind the stress of everyday living through prayer, meditation, uh, naps. Uh, They have vocabulary for purpose, vastly under-celebrated when it comes to adding years to your life expectancy. They know why they wake up in the world. Uh, When it comes to what they eat, uh, they're eating a a 90 to 100% whole food plant-based diet, uh, which is to say high carbohydrates, by the way. None of this keto or paleo nonsense. They, they are, are eating greens and grains and tubers and nuts and beans. If you're eating about a cup of beans a day, it's probably imparting four years to your life expectancy over fattier, wow. meatier proteins. And then the foundation uh, blue zones, um, they, they tend to put a huge emphasis on family. So actually, it's a really good investment to have a committed uh, partner in life. That's worth about four years of life expectancy over being uh, single or widowed or di- divorced. Uh, invest in their children so their children take care of them. In Blue Zones, people tend to belong to a religion, which is worth another four years of life expectancy. And then finally, uh, the big and I would say the most powerful lesson is they carefully curate their social network. So their best friends are reinforcing eating these plant-based diets and moving naturally and having a sense of purpose. I mean, that is a great list. Just on the religion point, uh, because I, we were, we, I was also struck by what you said in your um, seventh day uh, about Seventh Day Adventists. And by the way, there's a wonderful TED talk that you've done that our listeners could could tune into too. Um, just talk to us about the religion thing for those of us who aren't religious. I mean, is that about commute? Is that about community? Um, what, 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 how do you see it? This is all correlation, right? It's not a cause. This is not, I can't say one causes the other, but I can just say that if you're religious, you're more likely. So. Uh, People who are religious, they tend to have a built-in community. You know, if you're lonely, you don't have at least three friends you can count on on a bad day. That shaves about seven years off your life expectancy. Religious people tend to have their, you know, church friends or temple friends. Um, they, they're less likely to engage in risky behaviors. Uh, they have a day, a week where they slow down, unwind, uh, de-stress, uh, re- realign their lives. On um, population studies, you take 10,000 religious people and 10,000 non-religious people. The 10,000 religious people are going to live about four years longer. Wow. And, and what about things like topography or climate? I'm looking out my window here in London, and as ever, it's grey. It's probably going to be drizzly a little later. I mean, do do we stand? You're screwed. <laughs> We're screwed. So, so just the fact that our, our, our physical environment doesn't lend itself to being outdoors and and moving around so much means that we 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 couldn't become a blue zone without a lot of nudging in other areas. So blue zones mostly are in uh, subtropical areas, you know, the 20th parallel or somewhere around there. 
So they seem to hit a sweet spot where infectious diseases like malaria, cholera, um, um, giardia, et cetera, aren't a problem, but they still are able to go outdoors all day long. Indeed, access to vitamin D is, is protective for them. Um, they can have three growing seasons a year. So uh, gardens, I believe, are a huge uh, contributor to their longevity because they can be out every day working the soil and uh, have constant access to, to fresh vegetables. Now, that being said, the environmental componentry or characteristics of blue zones are completely portable to London. So even though it's not nice, you know, a bigger a bigger predictor of how much physical activity uh, you're going to get uh, is not necessarily the weather. It's whether or not you can walk to your friend's house or to the pub or to work. And that's usually a function of um, how your your street engineers, your city engineers design your streets. Are your streets designed for human beings or are they designed for automobiles? There's, um, there's often thought to be a, a relationship between income and life expectancy. Do, do blue zones, are they typically richer than other areas? So this is, once again, it's there's not an easy answer in the United States, and I imagine Great Britain to an extent, um, if you're in the top 20% uh, income bracket, it's probably worth four or five extra years of life expectancy over being in the bottom quintile. And that's probably because of access to health care and to be able to afford, uh, well, to be, it's not so much afford healthy food, but afford what we call healthy food. Conversely and interestingly, in blue zones, uh, it's often the poorest people are living the longest. And the best example is in the Nicoya Peninsula of Costa Rica. Uh, Very interestingly, the poorest people have the highest life expectancy. And we also partnered with Stanford and found that the poorest people in Nicoya also have the longest telomeres. And those are the caps at the end of our chromosomes that degrade with time and stress, the longer those caps are, uh, the, 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 long, the greater lo- your biological life expectancy or your greater, the, I guess, uh, the better your biological youth. And um, the poorest people had the longest telomeres. One other thing, um, stress, Dan, you, you, you say eloquently in your um, TED talk that stress is a problem. Um, uh, meditation, are you sort of, you know, meditation time out? Is that, is that on your list? Yeah, meditation works. Meditation wasn't big in blue zones, but you think about what meditation is, it's basically sitting quietly and not letting your, you know, brain go into monkey brain. Uh, in blue zones, that's achieved often through you know, in Okinawa, through ancestor veneration, which happens every morning, you spend some time remembering where you came from and and, and thanking your relatives of 15 or 20 minutes a day. Uh, in the Adventist community, it's through prayer. There, it's a form of meditation. Uh, nap taking also works. It uh, lowers cortisol levels, um, lowers your chance of heart disease, calms you down. It's a little different mechanism, but it works. And then just to break that that uh, cycle of hurry and worry that many of our work lives occasion and um, lower the ensuing inflammation. And, you know, it's, it's chronic inflammation that's at the root of every age-related disease. And if we don't move to a blue zone, although um, we're tempted, um, I think we'll become increasingly tempted as we go through this podcast, you, you're exporting the lessons of blue zones to other parts of the world, including to the United States. Talk to us about that, Dan. Yeah, so starting 11 years ago, you see, I've been doing this for 20 years, uh, and I still go to blue zones all the time, but people in blue zones have no better discipline than we do. They don't have a greater sense of individual responsibility as politicians hammer to us all the time. Uh, all they have is a better environment. Uh, Fruits, vegetables, nuts, and beans are cheapest and most accessible. 
Walking is the easiest way to get around. Loneliness isn't an option because of the way their cities are, are built and the way that the sort of social expectations they have. And they're kind of born with a sense of purpose. So uh, 11 years ago, uh, in a small city called Albert Lee, uh, with funding from an organization here called AARP and the University of Minnesota, we set about to change the environment of an entire city. And we did that on three levels. We worked with city council to optimize their food policies to favor healthy food and to to defavor junk food, uh, to work with their city planners to put more sidewalks, bike lanes, and clean up parks uh, and and build trails, uh, to denormalize smoking. And then we went to every restaurant, grocery store, workplace, school, and church and convinced them to, to go for Blue Zone certification, which means their policies and their designs nudge people into moving more, eating less junk and more plants, socializing more and connecting more. And then a third team uh, got 15% of the adult population, which is kind of a, a, a tipping point to become a Blue Zone ambassador and to optimize their own homes. And uh, lo and behold, in two years, life expectancy went up by three years and healthcare costs dropped by 40%. And since then, we've been to 54 American cities with this uh, plan. We have a full-time staff of about 200 people. That's my main business these days. Now, Dan, what's the checklist? Because I was going to get onto this. What's the checklist for each household that becomes a Blue Zone ambassador? Because that's really useful to know. You know, most of us are on what I call a seafood diet, S-E-E. We, we eat the food we see. So when we walk in our kitchen, if a bag of chips or what do you, I don't know, crisps, I guess you guys call them, yeah. are sitting on, or yeah. cookies are sitting on the counter, yeah. guess what we're going to eat? So, you know, we advocate a junk food drawer that's out of the way and then a high-quality fruit bowl that's in the way that's uh, getting rid of the toaster, for example. Most of what we put in toasters isn't all that healthy. Um, making sure you have a comfortable pair of walking shoes. So uh, by the door, you know, it's just a nudge, but it helps remind you. Longest of people are sleeping about eight hours a day. So to set up your bedroom so you're more likely to get that eight hours. Blackout shades, no screens in your bedroom. There's no blue zone silver bullet. Our approach is silver buckshot, unleashing this healthy swarm of nudges and defaults in every facet of our life. So you you set it up once, you turn off your brain, and you're nudged into the right thing over time. And quite frankly, it has to be starting your home and your personal life, but it really also needs to extend to where you shop, where you eat where you go to work, where your kids go to school, and the policy of your um, of your city for it to really work. Okay, Dan, you've given us the rule of nine. You, you, you've, you've educated us. I am basically, I'm totally all ears on this. But let me ask you a sort of slightly more direct question, which is, do you practice blue zone, blue zonery yourself? Yes, I'm 99% plant-based. I'll, you know, I have a a piece of fish every now and again, but um, uh, I'm socially connected. I know my sense of purpose. Uh, I do live. A, I do live a blue zone life. I'm 104, and people say well, I look right for that. I mean, honestly, I mean, obviously, our listeners can't see you, but I mean, that is, you know, you look. Let me just say, you look really good for 104, Dan. Yeah, not a day over 95. Uh, you look great. Well, listen. Uh, Dan Butner, self-confessed dorkmeister, which I thought was a brilliant uh, word, which I think we should we should co-opt. Um, thank you so much for joining us. We are absolutely fascinated. We are totally on board for the Blue Zones idea. And, and let me just say to your audience, if uh, if the if you have lingering questions, uh, my Instagram handle is at Dan Butner. If you DM me, I'll answer your questions to the best of my ability. Um, you know, I didn't know you guys a half an hour ago, and I, I feel like you're my best friends. So uh, thanks for that conversation. Totally. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, 
edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, let's hear about it uh, in practice as a lived experience. We're going to speak now to Thea Pericos, who is an Ikaria resident the owner Ikaria, of Jeff, Ikaria because... resident, uh, the owner of Thea's <laughs> Inn Guesthouse, which is on the island. Not only is it on the island, the number one rated Ikarian accommodation, according to TripAdvisor. Uh, Thea, hello. Hello. It's very nice to be here with you. Thank you for inviting me. Well, we can't wait to hear about Ikaria and your life. I mean, I, I'm imagining you a bit like Meryl Streep in Mamma Mia. How, <laughs> how, how close am I? <laughs> A bit different. <laughs> a bit different. Okay. But, but, t- t- tell us about Ikaria. If you were looking out of your window now, can you uh, paint a picture of the island for us? So Ikaria is a rugged type of an island. It's small in landmass. It's approximately 660 square meters. I want to say miles, but it's not miles. I apologize. We have a lot of mountains and ravines. We have a lot of water. We have rivers. We're very fortunate. We have forests, we have trees, we have green. It's a beautiful island, but it's a bit of a rugged island. And the sea, you have the sea right at your doorstep or the mountains. It has a lot of variety. And it's just overall a beautiful place. But it's not your your typical touristy Greek island. So what does day-to-day life look like, not just for you running a, a, a guest house, but you know, what, what are people's jobs typically on the island? Tell us just a little bit about the, the kind of pace mm-hmm. and style of life. So we do have a slower pace than other parts of Greece and definitely a much slower place than England or the States, for example. Many of the people here are self-employed. Many are involved in agriculture. Basically, the majority of people set their own pace. Unless, of course, you work for a doctor, you work in an office, and you have a set schedule. But the majority of people, they'll get up, they'll do their chores at home, they'll take care of their gardens, their animals, and then they'll go and they'll open up their shops, their stores, what have you. And we also are very much, we're very social. So we don't sit on the couch when we go home, but we might go home, wash up, have a little snack or something, then go visit somebody. Or during the day, you might be going to the grocery store, you might see a friend, and you might sit there for 20 minutes talking. So we do have a much slower, more relaxed pace in that sense. We've heard from Dan about this this idea of blue zones. And you you got to know Dan. He came and stayed on Ikaria. Mm-hmm. He stayed in your guest house. When yes. he explained this project <laughs> he was working on and the idea of blue zones, were you able to kind of see that Ikaria was one of those places straight away? Did it kind of fit in with his his theory? The thing was when he explained that he was here to do research on longevity because we have a lot of elderly people who hit 100. Um, our My attitude was, okay, but that's normal because that's how we all grew up here. We grew up with our great aunts, with our grandparents running up and down the mountains, going with them to the gardens and things like this. Trying to keep up with them was difficult at times. And I think once we real okay, first we can understand, I carry and think it is a unique island. We consider it a special place anyway. But once it was understood that, yeah, we were different in many ways in our lifestyle, the aging population, I think it was appreciated. You, you speak as an Icarian, Thea, but you were actually born in Michigan. I was born and raised in Detroit. Yes, that's right. 
And so when did you move to Ikaria? Well, my mother's family is from Ikaria. And so we were very fortunate because she was very close with her family here. When we were kids, she would bring us often. After high school, I started coming more and more. And I just felt much more comfortable with the lifestyle here. And the philosophy on life and living that they have here, I find more realistic, actually. But anyway, I met my husband on one of my trips. We got married. We spent some time in Athens, spent some time in the States. And then we came back to Ikaria permanently about 25 years ago, 26 years ago. And talk to us, if I may, about your lifestyle on Ikaria. Because Dan's got these nine rules of... um, uh long life and jeff and i are like massive hypochondriacs so we've been sort of you know this episode is absolutely kind of music to our ears but you know do you are you following dan's nine rules what you know diet exercise social life give us paint us you know we 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 are kind of we are sponges ready to absorb (laughs) your kind of life lessons from ikaria okay we'll start then with the diet we're very seasonal the majority of our food is organic and from Ikaria. We do eat processed food, but on a, a much, much lower level than anywhere else. We don't use ready-made sauces. We feel that, you know, you can make a nice meal from scratch and it doesn't have to take hours or be too complicated. Our food is very simple, but it's the type of food that makes your soul content, not just your stomach full. Um, you can make such simple dishes with wild greens and different vegetables that grow different times of the year, different beans, some meat or some fish, whatever you like. But we are, we are pretty much organic and very seasonal in our eating. Do you think there's something in the idea that it's, it's not just that the food itself is healthy, but the, the lifestyle in taking the time to prepare it and uh, I, I guess the, the mindfulness of that is something that contributes to this, this way of life and the way people yes, are living long, healthy lives on Ikaria? I do. I do think it makes a difference. I see people in the States when they're on their break from work, they have to have a, a very small time to eat their lunch and you see them hurrying up to finish. Um, the attitude here is if you have 15 minutes to eat, you're going to sit down and actually focus on eating that meal. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Generally speaking, food is to be enjoyed with company or with another person, a glass of wine, if you can. But it's not the type of a thing where, hey, I have 10 minutes after rip and finish this and get back to work. And Thea, as somebody who runs a guest house, I'm I'm really interested in this exercise stuff because I think that Dan's thesis is that it's incidental exercise. In other words, you know, you don't have a branch of gyms, I suspect, in Ikaria. No, um, we don't. Where, where everybody goes on the treadmill and then sort of, you know, sits at their desks all day. Um, talk to us about this idea of incidental exercise and, and, and how you, because you've got, you, I've no doubt you've got a, a busy job running your guest house. How do you make that part of your, your day? Well, first of all, walking is something that we enjoy doing. And most people have a garden. They'll have some animals, chickens, goats, a couple of pigs. All these things involve quite a bit of movement, but that's on a daily basis twice a day when you have your gardens and your animals. The houses might not be so close by, so we might walk to go visit a friend. Uh, many times people get together and we'll go for a hike through the mountains. So there's always, we're not the type of people to sit and stay sitting. Okay, meditation? Meditation, this is interesting. I don't, we don't have meditation as a, like a class or going to a meditation class or something like this, but but I've been t- I've talking to talking to different people. We all agree that when you're working on the garden, picking olives, uh, collecting different kinds of uh, things by the sea, that f- to us this is a form of meditation. You've obviously, you know, you said you've lived there for 25 years. What What are the other lessons do you think that in the hurly burly of of sort of city life that we have and many of our listeners have that we can learn? First of all, you can't, you can't make huge drastic changes, obviously, when your lifestyle is a nine to five job and you go home and you have to do whatever you do at home and then be ready for the next day. But I still believe that you can implement small things into your lifestyle to give you that break, to, to bring you down a little bit. Whether it be taking a little bit of time for yourself, just some downtime, just to relax, 20 minutes, a half hour, whatever it is. And social, I think, is also important. 
Um, I speak with many people who live in the city even before COVID. COVID just made it that much worse, that felt isolated and lonely. And I think this is really important for people because loneliness, I think, is a huge issue. Whether you join a group that has similar just to you, something through your church, whatever it is in your neighborhood, just to have some social contact with people, meet a friend for coffee, take that time. And the stress, I think, is a huge thing also. Um, I don't know if I'm wrong in this, but sometimes it feels like you're expected to be stressed out. People almost wear it as a badge of pride as well. They want to tell you yeah. how busy they are. And... It's crazy. I thought that would be changing a little bit by now. Jeff's, you talking, know... about, Jeff's talking about me when he says that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, everybody um, has stress. You know, you can't get away from it. But it's how you deal with it. Can I ask you a really kind of dumb question, which is, I don't know any 100-year-olds or any 100-plus-year-olds. Do you know... Yes. A centenarian? <laughs> yes. <laughs> How many do you know? Oh, I don't know. I've never really thought about it. Um, I mean, are they your neighbors or like people? You no, know my neighbors, are... my neighbors are in their 90s. Um, <laughs> One in three Koreans make it to their 90s, just to, to give you the statistic. Gee it's, it's... Whiz. But you have to understand, there's a huge, there's also the huge thing about um, the older generation, how they feel. Here they're respected. They're part of the community. They're not automatically put aside as being uh, senile or not knowing anything anymore. Okay, so they're, we're all we're all mixed together. All the generations will sit together at a table. An eight-year-old will be dancing with a fifteen-year-old. A three-year-old will be sitting with a twelve-year-old. We don't have these issues like this. We don't have we don't have the age complex. That's just a number. It's not so important to us. Now, Thea, I've got a really important question, which is, have you got any vacancies at the guest house for people to come and, to come and work for you? Of course, I have, there's always I have, room. I have previous experience as leader of the Labour Party, um, and I'm, gainfully, I'm, cur- I'm, I'm, I'm currently gainfully employed as a member of Parliament. However, I think, I think both Jeff and I could be, could be, could work. Don't you think, Jeff, what would you, what would you do? I would be the kind of, could I be a gardener? I mean, I would require a lot of training to become one of a gardener. Of for course, of course mm. you could. I'll put you with what? my husband. You can take care of the goats. Oh, I can take care of the goats. That is good. In fact, my wife used to joke to me um, that given my personality, even if I became a sort of goat herder, I'd still be anxious about the goats. But, uh, <laughs> but, may- but maybe... Um, but maybe uh, maybe that's the answer, Jeff. What what do you fancy doing? You, well, could when, be the, you could be a chef if there's a vacancy for a chef. Yeah, I don't, I'm I'm very slow uh, at, at chopping things. It takes me a long time to make dinner. I was thinking when the Beatles had a company, they they had um, they employed a house hippie who was just sort of set there, there to give good vibes to the place. And oh, I, there I you go, I'd, public relations. Yes, there we go. Perfect. So I'm going to be the goat herder. Jeff is going to be the house hippie. <laughs> yes. Thea, Thea we, it's such a pleasure to uh, speak to you. I think we want to come and visit, definitely. Absolutely. Don't we, Please do. Yeah. You're more than welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, well, we are re- we're really, really excited. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to say that we are joined now by Mayor Betsy Price, who is the mayor of Fort Worth in Texas, Mayor Price, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be with you. Tell us about how Fort Worth came to be involved with the Blue Zones project in 2014. Well, I've long known that the community health was a significant risk item. I mean, it it causes a lot of lost time for employees, a lot of expensive health care, a lot of children whose health isn't good and they're not learning well. So in 2013, I was elected in 2011, and we started looking at community health. And in 2013, we started seriously looking at it. And I was aware of Dan Butner's Blue Zones. As it turns out, the Chamber of Commerce was also looking at the program. But more importantly, Texas Health Resources, which is our largest hospital district, was looking at it. So the three of us came together and said, together, we need to drive this in our community And this is Texas, and people said, you'll never get blue zones through in Texas. This is cattle country, you know, and we're also a city of 900,000. And even Butner said, Fort Worth's too big to do this, but we proved him wrong. And there was a lot of interest, and we've seen a lot of great results. And tell us what changes have been made in the city in the 
during the period of the Blue Zones project, Mayor Price? Well, a huge amount of progress has been made. Um, we tried to do this more at the grassroots. This Texas is independent enough. If we tried to drive this from the top down, we were never going to get there. So we did it with a buy-in from the public, and we worked, divided the city into five areas and began to tackle those that we, one that we thought would be the most accepting and one that had the worst health. And we changed our smoking, uh, projects, our smoking ordinances so there's no smoking. And the, and we couldn't have done that without driving it from the grassroots side. We added 80 miles of trail connections. We added an active bike plan, transportation plan. So you can now cycle or walk and use transit to join those, some protected lanes. But mostly we've changed a lot of our public ordinances just to make it easier. We discovered for some odd reason we had an ordinance on the book that would allow you to have push cars that showed ice cream and sodas, but you couldn't sell fresh fruits and vegetables. I mean, does that not sound just weird? (laughs) We quickly changed that, and now we have some push cars out there. We added some fresh fruits and vegetable uh, distribution at our schools. So it's, it's been a lot of changes to the city. How have the residents reacted to it? Overall, it's been very good. At first, there was some pushback. I mean, as I said earlier, this is beef country, and people said, you're not going to take my meat away from me. And I said, no, it's not the idea. The idea is for you to increase your exercise, increase your connectivity to other people, to add more fruits and vegetables, just to get out and get connected and to find a purpose. And it's generally been well accepted. It took us five years to get the message widely distributed. And there are still pockets of the city where you say blue zones and people go, I don't know what you're talking about. But it was, it told me that we'd made progress. I was in the grocery store recently and there was a little five-year-old boy shopping with his mother and they're looking at some crackers and chips and stuff. And he said, oh no, mommy, don't get those. Get these. They're blue zone certified. And that made me feel really good. Does that have a badge on it saying it's Blue Zone certified? Yeah, most of our grocery stores have sections that are organic and uh, whole grains, and they will put a sticker on the shelves that says Blue Zone certified. And one of the interesting things that's been a huge change, all the grocery stores have now added at least one lane that instead of candy, gum, and sodas that are designed to grab you while you're standing in line, they now have fresh fruits, juices, water, Really things, you know, organic, whole grain crackers. And I was at this, one of the stores I was at, the line was longer for that white area than it was for the others. And tell us about the progress that you have made, because you have had some quite significant impacts, haven't you? Yes, we have. When we first did Gallup Wellbeing surveys the top 190 cities in the U.S. every year about the well-being and the health of the city. And that takes into your financial well-being, how you feel about your city, your overall health, all kinds of things. And of those top 190 cities, Fort Worth was number 185 on the least healthy, which was shocking. Our Chamber of Commerce president said, Please don't put that out. It'll shock business. And I said, yeah, they need to be shocked. But this year, last year when we surveyed, we were number 35 on, uh, out of the 190. And this year, we're number 31 out of the 190. Wow. And people's report that they have increased their physical activity. The first year we did it, you didn't. you found about 5% of the people who said they exercised 30 minutes or more three times a a week. This time we're up to 17%. Doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a huge growth. Smoking's gone down almost 40%. And that alone is a big deal. And residents' pride in their community went up better than 10 points. I know you said that you'll you'll find sort of a bit of eye rolling here and there or people who, who don't know about the blue zone. But by and large, you've been able to not just bring the public with you on this but inspire them it's something that they feel that they've got ownership of yeah they have that you know somebody said we've got a crazy lady riding her bicycle all over the city so we got to do it too but it's it's interesting is that you you? that's me is that that's me see so you you ride on your bike all around, do you? I do, and I do rolling town halls, not with the pandemic right now, but before the pandemic, every two weeks, twice a month, we did rolling town halls. It's just getting getting on your bicycle and riding through the neighborhoods. 
Because you'd be amazed what you see in a neighborhood when you're on a bicycle. And I have people who ride with me who go, we've never been in this neighborhood. We didn't know it existed. So it's been a great way to get people to cross back and forth in their neighborhoods, as well as get a little healthier. And can I ask you about the politics of it as well? Because I, I think I'm right in saying that you're elected as an independent, but you are a, a registered Republican. I guess That's we right. have this idea of, of thinking of Republicans as being anti-state or, or, or government intervention. How, how does this square with that ideology? Yeah, you're right. And this, but this, we tried not to drive this from the government side. We tried to build it from the bottom. We worked with our church leaders. We worked with our school leaders. We worked with our neighborhood associations. And we did, we knew we couldn't say the government wants you to do this. We knew we had to sell them on the benefits of this. And when we sold them on this, I'll give you just one example. Before I was elected, there was a bloody battle over smoking because the council wanted to just drive down a no-smoking policy, and they couldn't pass it for the objections from the citizens. So this time we went the other way. When I came in, I said, we're going to do this, but we're going to get the support. American Cancer Society helped us. The hospitals helped us. The churches helped us. And we had one person oppose it the night we took the vote to do no-smoking because we built it from the bottom up. You made reference earlier to the issue of people's diets. I mean, that's a really interesting question for a whole range of reasons, in, including issues to do with the uh, climate change. Have, we seen, have you seen a change in people's diets in terms of more vegetables, fruit? How have you, how have you surmounted that, que- that, that whole issue? Yeah, uh, we haven't seen as big a change as we would like to have seen, but you do see we added into our school lunch lines additional produce, fresh produce. We added salad bars. We had a company that uh, came in and donated salad bars, and the kids are now eating them. We haven't really measured exactly the drop in uh, meat, beef products, or chicken and the increase in fish, but anecdotally, the grocery store retailers will tell you they've seen a definite increase in the sale of produce and a lowering in the other, but not dramatically. And the grocery and the restaurants all, not all, but a large majority of them now offer um, alternatives to just a heavy steak. And people are beginning to choose those. At first, they're like, I'm going out to eat. I'm not going to do that. But now you see more and more people doing it. I, you mentioned lower-income neighbourhoods there, and I think I'm right in saying that some of your neighbourhoods still face real challenges of low life expectancy, including some of the predominantly black neighbourhoods. Yes. I know you're not going to run for a, um, a, a sixth term as mayor, but but what do you think are the challenges, including in that respect, that, that remain? I think there's still lots of challenges. I mean, our poverty level, particularly among our African-Americans, is, is way too high. It's about 13%. And lack of education is one of the big drivers. And lack of children being healthy to go to school and learn is a major issue. We just have to continue to get the buy-in. We continue to add parks in our lower-income areas, street lights, sidewalk connectors, we put our uh, B-Cycle program, which is the rent bikes, and we have free Fridays in some of those neighborhoods. It's not a progress a project that we're going to finish overnight. It's an ongoing long-term project. We didn't get in the shape we're in overnight. We won't get out of it that quickly either. Now, I don't want to drag you into national um, politics, but we, we can't let you go without just sort of at least referring to the events of this week. You've obviously seen a new president, President Biden, uh, inaugurated uh, how does it how do you does it feel like america is going to go forward from this from this moment from your perspective well i'm optimistic i, I really think this is going to give us a chance we to put a little different take on the virus and the pandemic that has everybody so worried and then it's going to increase the economy and i think people just a change has given them a major hope a major that people just seem a little more uplifted. You've been very strong on the mask wearing issue, haven't you, Mayor Price, around yep. the pandemic? Y'all wear a mask is what we say. Well, that's uh, very good uh, and, and important advice. 
Well, listen, um, thank you so much for joining us. It is really interesting what you're doing in relation to Blue Zones, and hopefully this will help spread the gospel to the UK. That'd be great. Y'all could use it too. So you ready to go, Blue? <laughs> I never thought I'd have Ed Miliband asking me that question. Um, I, yeah. may, maybe I'll, when I hit about 70, something like that, I'll just move to a Blue Zone and extend my life expectancy. I'm not sure it works like that. Um, in fact, you might sort of then drag down life expectancy <laughs> in Ikaria. I did love the way that he he was um, that Dan was able to pretty much anything you threw at him, he could tell you how many years it would either add or subtract from your life. So, ju- as I understand it, Justine gets me the same number of years as some nuts and some beans. <laughs> It was like four years for your partner and four years for your nuts and beans. <laughs> I tell you what I take out of it. I got onto this actually from doing some work on the book around walking and cycling. And it's this incidental exercise idea. It was actually Joel, mm. obviously, who discovered it. Um, it's this incidental exercise idea. Now, I think that is quite challenging. I think the sort of time out thing, you know, de-stress, I was quite struck by that, particularly in his TED talk around you know, excessive stress causes inflammation, all of that stuff. Also, just hearing Thea talk about what life is like in Ikaria and the the way that tasks can almost feel like a form of meditation. Yeah, well, that's interesting, isn't it? Maybe that's the cooking thing is important. Yeah. I mean, like, for example, um, I think the also thing, I was really struck um, by uh, Betsy Price, talking about this thing about blue zone aisles in in supermarkets yeah. and blue zone menus i mean because that's quite a good um it's you know it's quite a, it's like it's like a sort of equivalent of you know traffic lights on the you know on the food but but it's sort of in a way a more blanket thing isn't mm-hmm. it I'll tell you something. My mother-in-law is a one-woman blue zone. Pretty much everything we've talked about, and and then the detail that Dan went into on it, he was describing how she lives her life. Is that right? Yeah. She hasn't recently become a Seventh-day Adventist, has she? <laughs> I bet when she hears this podcast, she'll look into it. I mean, look, I, the thing I'd say about this is I'm, I found it really compelling. Of course, structural factors, poverty, inequality, all of those things – make a mass have a massive impact and i think i think it's quite important to think this is partly okay it's you know you you and i are sort of obsessive hypochondriacs so we're sort of really interested in what we can do individually but obviously it's also about how you structure your societies not just in terms of their layout incidental exercise all of those things but also how you structure them in economic terms to make it possible for people to lead these healthier lifestyles and because of the direct impact that poverty inequality bad housing all of those things um have on 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 people's life expectancy send us your ideas or suggest a guest for a future episode email reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com find us on facebook or tweet at cheerful podcast oh well we're in the outro we are we've got the secrets to long life now jeff I know, I know. Next week, we'll try and cover eternal life. Do you think? I'm quite into that idea, actually. <laughs> Have you ever considered becoming, uh, getting cryogenically frozen? Definitely, yeah. Or head in a jar, your consciousness uploaded to the cloud? I'm not sure about that. Let's get back down to earth. Now, we've got some very interesting news, haven't we? You texted me this week to say, happy Call My Agent Day. We did. I genuinely feel that this year so far for me has just been treading water to get to the release of the fourth series of Call My Agent on Netflix, which is a show we've talked about on the podcast a lot over the years because you you turned me on to it. It was a recommendation from you. I thought you were going to say you turned me on, but yeah, okay. (laughs) Uh, uh, That was the other text I sent you. Yeah, all right. Sorry, yeah. Um, uh, Yes. I haven't had a chance. Justine and I are saving it up for the weekend. Ah, well, we did two episodes last night, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm very excited. I think it's you know, it's great. It's, it's Sigourney Weaver, apparently. Yeah, yeah, they got some good good stars in it this time. Charlotte Gainsbourg was in the the first episode. It is 
um, a, a, a drama, but a light drama, almost comedy drama, set in a uh, theatrical agency in Paris. And let me tell you something. When you first recommended it to me and Sarah, we watched it and we loved it. She then recommended it to a couple of friends who thought it was awful. They said, oh, it's really, it's like a trashy soap. You only like it because Ed Miliband told you to like it. Outrageous. And, and that, which led, that led us to question our own judgment. But what yeah. I've enjoyed is in, in advance of this series, there's been a slew of you know, uh, articles in the New York Times, the the Guardian, yeah. everywhere talking about what a great show it is. And I, I feel vindicated. And, and so I, should you. I think I'm right in saying that it was Sam Coates of the Times who put me on, now Sky, who put me right. on to it, actually. Mm. Well, thank you, Sam. Um, I think so. Well, anyway, I'm looking forward to it and I will report back. Um, I mean, it's obviously a bit sad it's going to end, but all good things come to an end. And it is one of those shows because it's set in Paris and because it portrays that Parisian life so well, you just think, oh, why don't we just all go and live in Paris when this is over? Or in Icaria. Uh, so, <laughs> speaking of which, I'd like to thank our guest Dan Butner, Thea Paricos, and Mayor Betsy Price. Emma Caution produces our podcast, the research, the digging around for guests. Uh, that's all done by Joel Pierce, who we salute at this time every week with backup from Fanula DC, Zoe Gelbert, Joe Canyon. Uh, we also uh, do a big shout out, as they say, to our friends at Left Foot Forward. Gail Lofthouse is our announcer. Ed Seed composed the music. James Deacon made our eye dance. And the artwork was designed by Henry Cole. He's off to become a goat herder in Ikaria. He's going to be the happy hippie in Ikaria. And these have been Reasons to be Ikarian. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.